says, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Now, some of you might read that and say, Well, yeah, but what if I really am something? So this is just talking to the people that are nothing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you think you really are someone, you're, you're not. <laughs> you're not. Um, now, you know, that, there's a bit of a paradox there as you read through scriptures. You know, uh, the Bible, well, Jesus himself said when someone came to him and said, uh, good master. And he said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. But he also said that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So there is a bit of a paradox in, in this whole thing. What really are you? Are you something? Um, should you think of yourself as something? Those are maybe two different things. Um, and I, I think the emphasis here is don't be so self-centered. Don't focus on yourself. Um, don't be so um, arrogant and self-centered and selfish. I think selfish is really... I, I, honestly, I think self-centeredness, selfishness, is one of the, the biggest problems mankind has. Uh, it wrecks marriages. Um, it destroys churches. Um, it creates an incredible amount of problems. Um, and war obviously is not the least of those those problems. It, it probably is, is one of the most brutal ways that we see self-centeredness and selfishness being played out. So as God's children, uh, our passion should be to love God, to love each other, and to do it in an unselfish and gracious manner, uh, showing that we really do care about other people. Let me just, from that, go into the pictures. You can turn the lights off. And uh, those of you that are sitting on the wings, uh, you may want to move in. Some of the pictures are going to be a bit distorted if you're out there on that side. It's up to you. You're okay? Sure. That's fine. Um, I don't want to get between you and the picture here, girls, but uh, and young men. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, I almost got myself in trouble there. So what I want to do in, in the pictures here uh, this morning... If I can get this thing to move, there we go, is talk about a number of different programs and projects. Maybe I'll just stand up here so I'm out of the way for these, this group over here. Bibles for the World, some disaster program pictures. I want to talk just a little bit about our microfinance program. SALT is an acronym, uh, Shared Accountability Lending and Teaching. It's a way to uh, get people to support themselves and provide for themselves. Um, Widow's Care Fund is kind of a new one for us. Uh, we've been talking about supporting widows for many, many years. The Widows Care Fund is more of a, um, um, a way to help the widows beyond uh, a box of food, giving them something that can create sustainability and, and, and help themselves. Uh, the Middle East crisis, um, you know, this is a, we've focused on the Middle East for so long. Uh, we are now in the 12th year of a crisis in Syria. Um, kind of taken the back burner with the Ukraine issue uh, and, and war there, but certainly very much a, a, a crisis and, a, and an ugly situation. Yemen is another one of those situations where you hear very little about. Yemen has been in the middle of war, of war now since a civil war for about seven years and running, and uh, some of the chaos there is unbelievable also. 
and then water for the world, world hunger, and lastly, I'm going to touch on Ukraine. That looks like a lot, so I'm going to move fast. Uh, at the end, I want to leave it open for questions and give you an opportunity to just ask questions uh, if you have any. Uh, Bibles for the world. Um, CAM started in 1981 as Christian Aid for Romania. Our focus was sending Bibles into what was then communist Romania. And we still uh, do a lot of uh, Bible distribution in restricted countries. This is South Sudan. Uh, Bible distribution. Uh, South Sudan is probably one of the poorest countries in our world. Uh, right down at the bottom with Afghanistan and some of those others. Illiteracy is a huge problem. We've got uh, entire villages over there where the literacy rate uh, is very close to zero. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of needs there. Uh, one of the things that we are doing in places like South Sudan is distributing the Bible story books. And the Bible story books give you a picture or a drawing and then the story. And when those people hear it one time, their oral culture uh, picks up on that and they can repeat that story uh, very well again and again and again. They don't have to read. They don't have to. They should read, of course, but but they can do it without knowing how to read. Even a literate person can can do really well at, at um, re, retelling Bible stories. And we see that happening again and again. Um, I want to talk more about this later, but but COVID opened doors for us to work uh, in a lot of different places um, in very, very unusual ways. And even uh, being able to open up the scripture in places like India, for example, uh, and other places. Uh, restricted countries, a lot of what we do is in restricted countries uh, in Bible distribution. Um, much of it is illegal. A lot of it is underground. Uh, we have really good connections that let us get into some of these countries uh, where we don't travel there ourselves. We provide the funding for the printing and then distribution is made over there. So there's some really, really unique opportunities for Bible distribution, carrying Bibles into other countries, distributing Bibles in other countries, getting the word of God into the hands of people who need it. Do they want it? I really think that what we're seeing today globally around the world, and this is especially true in the Muslim countries and, and what we call restricted countries, which most of those would be Muslim, um, the next generation in those in that part of the world is is begging for the truth. They're seeking for the truth. God is moving in some amazing ways to bring truth into the hearts of these people. He's speaking in some unique and interesting ways and using some uh, unconventional tools in the process of doing that. I'll talk more about that. This is distribution of the Bible story books at a, um, a maternity ward in Kenya uh, by one of our CAM staff. Widows Care Fund, I had the opportunity in 2019 to travel into India, and I came away from India with, with this awareness that widows in India are easily among the most vulnerable people in our lives uh, and in the world today. Um, what happens in India is uh, people... India has had this culture for so many years that uh, when a woman, when a man dies, uh, a woman becomes useless, completely useless to society. In, in fact, she's hardly even considered a woman at that point or a human at that point anymore. Um, families will desert um, a widowed mother um, 
And in many cases, they get pushed out. There are communities where widows live together in quite large communities. Um, and very few people want anything to do with that type of person. Now, the culture, there's a lot of history to this culture. Like many years ago, for example, uh, there was actually um, a, a law that when a man died, uh, he would be cremated. That's the standard procedure of taking care of uh, a person in India when he dies. He's put on a on a pile of wood and burned. You might have remembered that from the the stories from India during COVID, where there was uh, this constant burning of bodies that took place in India. This is their culture. But what would happen is is the woman in some cases was actually thrown alive onto the fire because just to get rid of her. Families wanted her out of the way because she became a burden to the rest. And in many cases, women themselves saw the futility of life and the hopelessness of life and would actually jump into the fire themselves. I've heard numerous testimonies of that kind of thing. Now, that's been outlawed in India, but but the stigma against widows is still very, very clear. In, in many situations, you would have uh, this type of thing. Years ago, actually, uh, a, a widow always wore white. So everywhere she went, she stood out. Everyone knew who was a widow and who wasn't. And today, even, they have a way of, of, um, of uh, just the way they dress. Uh, the red marking, for example, on the forehead of the Hindu woman um, is removed when, when a woman becomes a widow. And so it becomes instantly obvious to the rest of the people around them that she's a widow. The other thing is that many girls uh, in India marry at a very young age, uh, not uncommon for it to be 13, 14 years old, and often to a man who's much older. Um, it's not uncommon for it to be twice the age of, of the man. And so a woman is typically widowed very young. Um, that's very common in, in India and just creates a lot of suffering, tremendous amount of problems uh, for those people. This is a group of widows. Some of these are Christian widows and widows as a result of a, a riot that took place. Um, there was a, a man that was killed. Hindu people accused a Christian of doing it. And so there was a massacre against a group of them. This is as recent as like 2004. It's not that long ago. And so in this group are Christian widows uh, as a result of that massacre. And some of their stories are just really brutal. On top of that, you still have a lot of leprosy in India. The leprosy affects your feelings of your fingers and toes. And so you touch something hot, your hand burns, you don't realize it. Uh, eventually it becomes infected. There's no pain there because you don't have feelings. And uh, you can end up with no digits on your fingers. You see that here. Or the toes eventually get worn off. Um, you know, there's some really bad stories. I'll, I'll, I'll not go into those. But, but there's some really, really unfortunate things that happen in this situation. Here again, nobody wants a leper in their house. They get pushed out. They end up going into leper camps um, and just live uh, at the bottom. I mean, this is some of the most desperate situations uh, in the free world that you can imagine. Some really, really sad and ugly situation. So we're helping them. We've been providing food for them. 
And we're now taking steps to go beyond that and give them animals in some cases, uh, helping them with goats or chickens where they can grow something that will uh, provide a little bit of income. Sewing machines are a good, ways all, a good way also uh, to provide assistance for them. Um, and it's not just India, although India has uh, a large, uh, I mean, it's estimated that India alone has 40 million widows, and I'm sure that's not an exaggeration. Uh, 1.3 billion people, uh, 40 million is not a lot of people, if you think about it. Um, but Romania and other places in the world uh, also suffer. Here's a, an older woman uh, with a handicapped son. Um, and, you know, you picture taking care. Uh, providing for someone like that um, as an older person, it, it becomes a burden and a responsibility for some of these people and makes life uh, quite difficult and quite hard. The Middle East refugee crisis, CAM has been working here now for about 10 years. We've connected uh, in the region uh, in a number of ways. Uh, there are medical teams that we've sent over into um, Iraq and then have been working both in Iraq and, and filtering down into Syria where we can. Uh, the goal is simply to get out to the, to the refugee camps and connect with the people and provide some medical assistance. That's what's happening here. We're trying to register a group of people who may have some uh, medical needs. And it's our way of actually interacting and connecting with the people. Something like the hygiene kits... Uh, that you can put together are distributed. Lots of those have been shipped over into this region and distributed. The hygiene kit is like a towel and wrapped inside are a number of hygiene items like shampoo, uh, toothbrush, toothpaste, washcloth, handkerchief, a comb, uh, bar of soap, those kind of things uh, go inside. About $10 you can put these together, a uh, dollar or two to ship them. And, um, you know, if I gave you something like that, you'd smile and say thank you because you're kind and gracious. Uh, but it would not mean anything to you. It really wouldn't because there's nothing here that you don't already have or really need. But if you've fled from your home and you don't have more than what's on your back and you're living in a tent, uh, something like this becomes a real treasure and something that's valuable to these people. We're sending uh, thousands of these uh, uh preparing to right now into Ukraine uh, and into some of the areas surrounding Ukraine where the refugees have gone. Food, there's a lot of need for food, and we've been able to connect with some of the humanitarian aid uh, and other NGOs and being able to provide food into this area. Just a picture of one of the tents. This picture was taken probably August of last year. It's from inside a tent, pretty nice, actually. Uh, the family almost certainly wintered in this tent. Here's a picture from the outside, uh, same tent. Now, Syria is not that cold. We're in the desert, so it gets hot actually in the summer. Uh, wintertime, day temperatures can be reasonable, uh, but it's not uncommon for it to dip uh, quite colder at night. And snow is not unreasonable in this area. I mean, they get it occasionally. Um, so, and they're through the winter at this point, so they're headed into better times. But this family almost certainly lived in that tent uh, this past winter. Food items are being distributed there on a regular basis, and there's still constant need for that. Now, there are a number of groups of people along the way. Uh, some of you may have followed the uh, Yazidi people who were chased from their town or community uh, that's already a couple years ago, ended up um, uh, living on a mountain for a bit of time. Um, that's one group of many that really have suffered a lot in the Syria crisis. 
Uh, Yemen is is uh, almost out of our radar. Like it's it's a country that we hear so very little about. You almost have to dig for the news, and it's very very unfortunate because there's been an ugly and serious civil war inside. Now the war is being fed. It's actually pretty much 100% Muslim with a small growing Christian population inside. But what what has happened is uh, the two um, factions, two different groups, the Sunnis and the Shiite uh, factions inside the country have just locked horns. And uh, it's actually being fueled from outside by Saudi Arabia and Iran. And uh, just a, a lot of suffering. There's a lot of people caught in the middle of this crisis. Uh, recently, I had contact with one of our Yemeni contacts, uh, not a Yemeni, but someone who has worked inside Yemen and is doing some work for us. Uh, Yemen is way down below Saudi Arabia. Uh, if you know your geography, you talk about the Horn of Africa, that little land that juts out on the far east side of Central Africa. Uh, Somalia, I think, is in the Horn of Africa. Just above that is where Yemen is. Um, North of it is Saudi Arabia. They're not letting any refugees in. Uh, if you go uh, east to Oman, no one wants to go over there. The other options would be to go outside, which would be, um, or across into Africa, into countries like Djibouti and Eritrea. And, I mean, the, it's worse there. There's no reason or, or even hope that anyone would want to leave. And so you just stay, and there's just a tremendous amount of suffering uh, inside Yemen. Uh, food shortages are probably the biggest thing. Um, and, and it's to the extent where, where families are forced to make choices. So uh, one report that I got just recently was from uh, our contact saying that he had met a Yemeni man who had a small family but was really struggling in feeding his family. Included in his family was a 13-year-old daughter. And so he had a choice. Uh, the choice was to continue to provide food for that 13-year-old daughter or offer her in marriage to a man uh, and then have one less mouth to feed. Now, those of you that have young families here, uh, young girls especially, can you imagine being placed into that kind of predicament? It's just horrible to think that, that those would be even reasonable options. Uh, but this is true, not just of one family in Yemen, but of many. So we've been able to send blankets. This is some of our comforters that we've sent in. Here are some of the hygiene kits. We actually have some really good connections that are letting us get into Yemen. Uh, this is a layette bundle that has been distributed to this family. Uh, Christians caught in the middle here are some of our target, uh, reaching out and, and providing some assistance to, um, to them. The other thing that we've found is that there's a tremendous need for water. Um, there are serious water shortages. People have to walk for water. And what you have often in situations like this is a young girl uh, might never get to school because her duty every day is to go for water. I don't know why it is that girls get caught in some of the roughest situations. I'm serious about this. In some of the roughest situations in our world. But, um, you know, if you, haven't, if you haven't spent a lot of time thinking about uh, women and young girls in our world today, there's a tremendous amount of suffering that exists there. It's women often who don't go to school or young girls who often miss school. Uh, places like Pakistan and Afghanistan, it's even illegal to go to school as a young girl, especially under Taliban rule and that type of thing. Now, Pakistan wouldn't have quite that emphasis, but 
When, when you reach down into the bottom of poverty, into the poorest places in the world, it's the girls who suffer the most. And then if you add on top of that some of the sexual abuse, uh, women trafficking, and all that kind of thing that goes with it, it's horrible. It is. It's horrible, and it's really, really ugly to think uh, of all the, the suffering that goes on um, uh, for women in our world today. Water for the world. You know, you got up this morning, probably the first thing you did was walk into a bathroom and open up a spigot. And, um, you know, you walk to one spigot, you got water here, you walk to another. It's clean water. You don't even have to think about it. Can I drink this water or can't I? Not only that, but you open up another spigot and you have hot water. And you can set that temperature perfect for the shower or to wash your face. You never give it a thought how uh, incredible that it is. that is. I think sometimes that... We ought to, every time we walk, I'm not, we shouldn't worship spigots and water, but, but we should stop and thank God for clean water available where you have it, where you need it. Uh, so I don't know how old you are. There's some older people here who remember the hand pumps uh, outside mom and dad's door. Yeah. But the next generation knows nothing about that. We, we got, we've got water so convenient that, that we don't even think about it. Clean water. That's not true for much of the world. Many people go to a village pump like this. Uh, or places like Ethiopia, people are walking miles and in some cases hours to get to water. Often in extremely dangerous situations. Uh, rivers where there's alligators. Uh, snakes along the path. You know, it's, it, it's really bad. I'm serious. There's a lot of really critical situations. This is the same girls you saw in the previous picture and a new well is being drilled here that's going to give them clean water, easily accessible for them, but they're still three miles away. Um, and so they've got at least an hour walk uh, every day just for water, and that's the amount of water that they can carry with them. Uh, here again, it's often women that, that do the water hauling, young girls that, that walk for the water and spend the amount of time uh, to get the water to families. We have connected with an organization uh, that has built what they call the Life Pump. It's a bit of a unique design. Uh, instead of the, the hand pump uh, that uh, has high maintenance and often gives out in some of these areas, it has more of a pedal uh, pump concept. Uh, they're able to go deeper, pull water up from further down, which is a good thing. And the other thing they have done is installed... Um, electronics that connect to satellite. And so they can sit in their offices in Ohio and they know exactly where every pump is that they've installed all over the world and they can see how many revolutions that pump has made, whether it's working or not, and um, if if it's useful or not. And if there's a problem, they know to send someone and, and check that out. And we've been helping in this situation, uh, especially in places like Ethiopia, because there's uh, huge needs for water in this, this part of the world. World Hunger. Uh, this is kind of a, uh, a program that has spun off of COVID, our COVID relief or COVID crisis. Um, and so, okay, COVID has been a real serious issue in our country, for sure. The pandemic uh, has taken a lot of lives. We connected with Ellie just since uh, we came in here and realized that her parents both passed away recently due to COVID. Um, my parents both passed away last year, neither of them because of COVID. Um, they had both um, had other health issues. Uh, but COVID created an unbelievable amount of problems in our world. 
Now, for us, it was more irritation and aggravation, and um, and for some worse. I, I realize that, but the whole idea of needing to wear masks and and just the frustration of things that we that we haggled with due to COVID was uh, it was more an irritation. Now, I don't know what it was like here, but back east, among many of our people, among many of the the Amish and Mennonite people, they actually made a lot of money during COVID. Uh, I mean, the type of work many of our people were in, um, there there are people that did really, really well with COVID. Uh, Not with COVID, but their businesses, actually COVID helped them. There's no question about that. When you go around the world, it's hard to picture the contrast or the difference. And so I'm going to just real quickly give you a bit of a picture uh, of what it was like in many other countries. Now, we we were able, during COVID, to reach out into almost 70 countries and distribute aid. And uh, CAM contributions in 2020 were up 50% from the previous year. Uh, so there was probably, um, um, I'm guessing now you could read our annual report and see the numbers exactly, but uh, 15 million plus that came in, 15 million extra, that came in just because of COVID in 2020, and another probably 12 million at least in 2022, which means that we were, uh, 2021, sorry, which means that we had about $25 million extra above and beyond because of the COVID crisis to be able to distribute, to distribute into other places like this. Now, COVID's impact in a nutshell globally was that food costs went up and income came down. So you have places like like India, for example, where when, when the world said lockdowns, they, they took it seriously. For you and I, lockdowns were never, you had to stay in your house. You couldn't work. Uh, you couldn't, you, you could still go to the grocery store. You just had to be careful. Uh, certain places shut down. Restaurants weren't as open as before and, and all of that. But we still were able to move about and do what we needed to do. In India... Uh, you were forced to stay in your house except for windows of time, maybe an hour a day, where you could go out. And many, many businesses just simply collapsed and, and shut down. Markets, for example, food wasn't available. Uh, when, they, when they did their shutdown, for example, in India, they decided uh, one evening to completely shut down the country at midnight that night. Um, all the public transportation stopped. Trucks, buses, planes... And they had like 300 million migrant workers that were working away from their homes that all at once needed to get home and had no way to go, no way to get there. 300 million, that's like the entire population of the United States that was away from their families and no transportation to get to their homes. Many died in the process. Uh, And with the shutdowns came some real serious issues with lack of food. Afghanistan was another one of those. Now, Afghanistan has been a country really difficult to work in for many years. So this has been a long history in Afghanistan. Ironically, COVID opened up that door where we could get food into Afghanistan like never before. I mean, we had an unusual amount of opportunity uh, to be able to move into Afghanistan. There's a blind man who we have given some distribution to, uh, other people there that we've been able to reach out and help. And what's interesting is that 
what what happens is is people start to ask questions like where is this coming from who's giving us this food oh it's coming from christians in the west christians in the west why are they helping us providing us and our contacts with some really really good opportunities uh, to let them know that god loves them and cares about them people in the west care and they are giving this food in the name of jesus jesus who's jesus uh, and this opens up some some real questions and actually drops a seed. And often what happens from that is a dream or a vision where Jesus actually comes and speaks to them. That's very unusual for us. Maybe you want to see a vision someday where you see Jesus, but you don't need it. You know Jesus. You understand who Jesus is. You don't need a dream to tell you that. It might be nice, I guess. But seriously, we don't we don't need that. In, in places like Afghanistan and the Muslim part of the world where Jesus is just a good prophet, uh, they need something that's going to wake them up. And often it's that uh, vision or dream uh, that will do that. So India has been a main target for us. We have, we have distributed a lot in India. We have some really, really good contacts that are letting us distribute into India. Um, India, there's, India is listed in, uh, the people of India live in the caste system, C-A-S-T-E, caste. And so you have the high caste or the upper caste um, or the lower caste, depending on where you are born. That's where you stay. If you're at the bottom, you don't move up. You can't move up by marriage. You can't move up by working hard and making more money. You can't, even if you have money, buy land in a place where your caste doesn't belong. They'll kill you if you do. I mean, this is serious, okay? Um, and the people at the bottom especially that live in the slums, in the tents like this here, this is the only hope that they ever have. They're going to be there all their lives. And there's very little hope for them ever to, to go beyond that. And many of these suffer tremendously because they are the uh, they have the small shops. They have the uh, the places that were closed down, uh, basically, is were run by the lower caste. And so our COVID help went out to them uh, and provided a lot of support and assistance to them. And through that, there was a lot of uh, really, really good response. And um, uh, our contacts were intentional in letting them know um, where the aid is coming from, ministering to them as they went, reaching out to help them and so forth, and then eventually going back to them and and in the quietness and darkness of a tent, uh, reaching out to them in the name of Jesus, often handing them a Bible if they were interested and going beyond that. There's been some very positive contacts that have been made. And again, a lot of it has to do with um, distribution of food or begins with distribution of food in this area. This is a widow who was helped recently uh, through some of our programs. Uh, these are uh, children from refugees in Turkey, uh, Muslim people in Turkey also, uh, that we were able to reach out and help. One story about a man in one of these countries, I don't even know which one, but it's a, a Muslim country, so it's one of those uh, restricted countries that we worked in. Uh, we had sent some aid in, distributed some food. Uh, him and his family were recipients. Uh, after he received the food, one night he had a dream. And in the dream, a man in white came to him and said, you have received uh, physical aid, but what you really need is spiritual aid. And then showed him a book. And then he woke up. And he came back to our contacts and explained the dream and said this to our contacts. 
who is this man? Tell me who this man is and what is your relationship with him? Or what do you know about him? How do you know this man? Uh, and this provided our contacts with a really good opportunity to just explain who Jesus is, uh, what he can do for him. And it opened up the eyes of this man. The dream uh, provided the way for him to say, uh, I believe, and came to a point where he and his family uh, committed their lives to Christ and, and have, um, uh, are in the church at this point. Lastly, crisis in Ukraine. I even hate to talk about this. I'll be honest with you. There's so much uh, pain in, in all that is going on in Ukraine that it's really, really difficult uh, to fathom. If you've watched the news, I'm sure you have. If you have any interest, uh, you're up to date on what's happening. And, and uh, it, it seems so it just seems so unfair, uh, so really, really hard to uh, to, to comprehend um, and, and, and to fathom. So. Basically, one of the things that has happened or one of the impacts of the Ukraine war is there's just very little food that's available. Um, we have um, contacts inside Ukraine. Um, I mentioned earlier that we had staff there. Uh, we still have Ukrainian staff. In most cases, those Ukrainian staff, uh, their families, their wives and children have fled. Um, I talked with one this week by phone. Uh, he, his wife and two sons are in um, uh, Romania, and he stayed behind, couldn't leave. He's between 18 and 60, so he couldn't leave. No way to get out. Uh, and so there he is. Um, and he's happy to stay, honestly. He's doing what he can there to reach out and, and, uh, and help. He's living in the western part of Ukraine in a church. Um, uh, we're with a group of other refugees. They've just simply uh, holed up in a church and, and are there presently. So wheat prices are already on the way up. And incidentally, Ukraine and Russia are the primary producers of wheat in the world. Uh, for world export of wheat, um, a, a large percentage of it is coming from Ukraine and Russia. Now, I don't know what kind of impact that's going to have um, eventually going down the road and in, in as far as uh, harvest is concerned this year, but it has driven prices up already. Um, so uh, wheat prices are up. Uh, exports are going to be disrupted. There's no question about that. Uh, some of that has to do with, with the, um, um, the restrictions against Russia, but also the chaos in, in Ukraine that's not letting them export as they would like. And this has created what, what the world is calling an amazing food shock. Um, and it's kind of hard to picture because, you know, for those of us here especially, it's easy to think that, well, how or why should it even impact us? Uh, why, should this, why should this affect us? Uh, even gas prices, you know, why? It's, it's, it's because we've become a global uh, world. The world that we live in is no longer just your little community here and what you can produce for yourself. But a lot of what is done, it, 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 there's global impact. And so you have this type of situation and crisis. It's going to affect uh, the world. Global food prices are already at record highs and I think only going to get worse. Uh, hopefully not. Forty five million people are on the brink of starvation. Now, this, this is not. Um, this is not 45 million people that are 
uh, in, in war zones and, and refugees. Um, I, I think that number is cl- closer to 100 million probably uh, at this point, uh, or it's at least getting close. I mean, even before the Ukraine situation, it was well over 80 million. Um, so we're pushing 100 million people that are refugees, but this is just talking about a segment of those people that are right on the edge of starvation. Uh, and and if you, you've read the stories already where you know there are people left behind in Ukraine. Fa- uh, families have fled older people that are dying of starvation uh, in Ukraine in some of these cities. That's already happening. Uh, but there's a lot of people in our world that are on uh, the brink. A couple of comments from a news report. Uh, the last thing the world needed was another conflict uh, because it is driving world hunger. And that, that's true. When you look at COVID and the whole COVID situation, uh, especially in the last few months, as it felt like we were maybe getting through uh, some of the worst of COVID, uh, uh, now to have this kind of conflict, yeah, it's the last thing we needed, that's for sure. And then someone else said, I just find it unacceptable to a level of disbelief that in this day and age people are sleeping hungry when the world has the ability and is producing more than enough to feed everyone. And that, that's certainly true. One of the comments that I made uh, not so long ago is that it's really hard for me to fathom that as civilized as the world is, as, as, as much as we are able to connect and, and to stay in touch. I mean, I have friends in India that I occasionally send text messages to, uh, or places like Ukraine and Romania and other places of the world. You can go clear around the world and make connections today through, well, and that's true by the videos that you're seeing coming out of Russia real time. Uh, I mean, this is, this is, we're living in a very, very civilized world and to have this kind of conflict, that's going, it's hard to fathom. It really is. And in many ways depressing, uh, and difficult to, to know exactly what God has. Maybe, we need to read more of Revelation, Duane, huh? Uh, to be able to put together some of all of this, to be able to at least make some sense of it. Uh, even then, it seems senseless and, and harsh and really, really cruel. So some recent pictures from Ukraine. Um, and, and this is not going to be anything new. You're seeing these kind and worse on the news all the time. Uh, but some of these are coming from our contacts, our staff, in Ukraine with information. So here's some of the rubble that you see here. Uh, this picture is an elderly person in Ukraine, uh, a box of food that's been given by one of our staff. Uh, one of our staff whose family fled and he's uh, left behind in Ukraine. Uh, so again, you know, there's a lot of these kinds of pictures that we can show that I'm sure you've seen them before. This is distribution uh, inside. So what our staff have done, we had a warehouse with some food in. Now, recent months, it's been a little hard for us to get aid in and do some distribution there. Um, but uh, we're, we've been able to buy food inside uh, up to this point so far. Um, and we are working hard at getting food in from the West, uh, from Western Europe, uh, in through Romania, into Ukraine or through Poland and into Ukraine. We have good contacts uh, in both areas. In fact, the... Um, Christian Aid has been working in Romania ever since, well, we began in Romania in 1981. And one of the areas that we have uh, built a lot of, um, uh, placed a distribution point is in Suchava, Romania, which is less than an hour from Sidet. Sidet is right on the border 
uh, of Ukraine. And refugees have been flowing across that border, thousands of them in recent days. And some of our contacts there have been able to reach right up into that area, less than an hour away. In fact, they're coming down into Sochava and interacting with our uh, staff and people there. Uh, this is all inside Ukraine, the distribution of food aid there. Uh, widows especially, uh, th- these, the, the widows are being left behind. The widows and the elderly and in many, many situations can't move, can't travel, um, and some cases aren't willing to, don't want to, uh, are being left behind in the middle of, of some of the war that's going on there. Uh, the city of Maripol, for example, down in the south is one area that has really, really been hit hard and has been some recent news that has come out of there is basically saying that the city is destroyed and thousands of people were left behind. Many of those were killed uh, by Russian troops that came through. Those that are left behind are starving. It's like there's no place for them to go. And a lot of those people would be the elderly. Hard to picture. Really, really hard uh, to comprehend. Uh, this picture shows some of our staff. Uh, Ukrainian staff, one, two, I think it's these three, don't know for sure. Um, uh, and they are right now inside Ukraine. Uh, so they had come out of Ukraine, and then some of the men have gone back into Poland and Romania and traveled up into Ukraine or east into Ukraine, and we're, we're trying to locate some spots where we can uh, begin to do some distribution. But we've rented uh, a large warehouse. Actually, it was given to us, uh, not the building given, but the use of it has been given to us uh, in western Ukraine uh, for our humanitarian aid. And so we're trucking, hoping to truck food in. At this point, it looks very doable, coming from the west, probably from the Netherlands or Germany, and then trucking it through Poland into uh, into Ukraine for distribution. And a couple of pictures. These actually came through to me on a, on a text thread uh, from one of our contacts over there, just some of the debris and uh, chaos, some of the fighting and uh, all that has taken place there, uh, cleaning up by some of the um, some of the firemen and people there. So, yeah, a lot more could be said about Ukraine. These pictures aren't new to you. I'm sure you've seen worse. And if you're following any of the video uh, footage that's coming over again, it's real time. We're getting some real time information on what's happening over there. Uh, I know that many of you were praying for Christian Aid Ministries during the Haiti hostage, uh, the kidnapping crisis that we had back in October, where 17 of our people were kidnapped and then uh, were able to get out. I just want to thank you for that. Uh, we really do appreciate your prayers and support uh, through that time. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, that was a rough time for us um, and for 17 of our people. Um, and I don't want to say much about that ex- except to say that it does seem like uh, God was there. Uh, I shouldn't even say it that way. It's obvious to us that God was there and moved in the situation, in the crisis, through the time. His timing was right. There were a couple situations where, uh, I mean, from the very beginning, uh, some of our people were um, wanting to escape, wanting to try and escape. One of the young men that was along had a, a real serious medical issue and and was very sick very fast. He has a skin disease, and when he didn't have his medication, uh, he was affected quickly. Had they tried to escape in those first couple weeks, they almost certainly would have had to leave someone behind. Uh, there were times along the way where some of them said, uh, 
and they constantly debated as a group, should we escape, uh, should we not? Some of them were saying, no, it's not right. Uh, if we escape, uh, our guards are going to be killed. We're going to be responsible for that. We can't walk out. Not sure that I would have thought that. But, but hey, you know, I mean, they were serious about this. You know, th- we take this, this is our responsibility. Uh, and so there was a lot of differences of, opi- of opinion among the group. And at one point, there was one young man that said, look, I'm walking out. Whoever wants to go with me, go ahead. If you want to stay behind, okay, but I'm getting out. And he repented of that attitude. And finally, they said, no, we're not doing anything unless we do it together. There were negotiations along the way, both by Cam uh, people and um, and the kidnappers. There was also uh, negotiations eventually by FBI and and uh, the gang, and none of that really worked. Eventually, there was a ransom paid. Um, um, I don't think it was a lot, but I don't know how much it was. Uh, the money didn't go through Cam; it actually came through a contact through the FBI. And so we really had nothing to do with it. There was no way we could, uh, I, I suppose we could have said we don't want it. But uh, money was paid and they were supposed to be freed because of that. And then when it came right down to that point, one of their, one of the gang leaders was actually in prison uh, in Haiti. And so the gang said, uh, no, we need him released before we can release these hostages. And our group knew that. The hostages knew that. And they realized that everything was in a stalemate. And at that point, they took responsibility themselves uh, and said, okay, we're walking out. Um, and so, again, I think a lot of it was timing. They finally came to a point where they agreed to do it and, and were able, I think, in a miraculous way to walk out. Uh, what exactly happened when they did with the, with the gang, nobody knows for sure. Uh, some people say, well, they must have been sleeping. No, they saw them awake. Uh, they were on their phones um, as they went out. So they may have been distracted. They may have had uh, earplugs. I don't know. But but they were awake. And and, and the group walked, um, I forget the distance, 20 yards maybe, uh, in front of the kidnappers. Like they were here, the kidnappers were here, and 20 yards, 60 feet. What do you have to the front door? Yeah. 60 feet. So now it was three o'clock in the morning. It was dark, uh, but the moon was out. So, I mean, they could have they could and they thrashed through some some briars and brush as they went out through. I mean, he could easily have heard them. Uh, So it's not like they were asleep and weren't looking. Did they not? um, Did they want to let them go? That's possible. Sure. Um, But the group that walked out walked out realizing that they could be shot, uh, that, that what they were in a very dangerous situation. Uh, so we thank you for your prayers. Uh, I did um, want to make sure that every family member received an information packet. Um, we have other literature along. I don't have a table out. If you'd like some literature, I'd be happy to provide some for you. We didn't uh, put a display out here, but we can uh, get some literature if you'd like. Thank you very much. Uh, for your interest in Christian aid. Thank you again uh, for your support. I did leave you with a, l- a couple minutes here to ask questions, so maybe I'll just leave it open uh, if there's anyone that has a question.
Okay.